Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. I was thinking about Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones during worship, and then we started singing that song, and maybe I heard it during practice, and that's what put the thought in my heart. But just thinking about that, I was thinking... It all started with Ezekiel hearing the voice of the Lord and then responding. And it's not like his response was just so full of faith. You know, it's not like God said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, in Jesus' name. Like, full of faith, you know? Like, yes, Lord. Chakra. You know, like, he wasn't... It just... He says, oh, Lord, you know. And I was thinking about the fact that, you know, when God speaks to us and asks us to respond, anything but negative will work. Like, even if you're not so full of faith in that moment, if there's not something negative, there's not doubt coming from your mouth, he can work with that. Because think about it. He says to Ezekiel, and it obviously matters what Ezekiel thinks, right? Or he... What's the point of asking the question if it doesn't matter what Ezekiel thinks? He's God. He values his word above even his own name, which means he doesn't waste it. His words are precious. They carry life. They mean something. There's value in everything he says. He has never asked you a question that didn't carry value. He's never spoke a word to you that doesn't carry value. He says to us, who are just filled with his spirit, who are not him, to not cast our pearl before swine, to not waste our words trying to argue with a fool. There's all these warnings to us about valuing our words. It's because we're like him and he values his words. So when he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? There was, it mattered. There was a point to that. It wasn't just a question to make Ezekiel 37 one sentence longer. And it, it isn't as if, like I said, Ezekiel's just so full of faith, but and I was just thinking about like how easily we can let ourselves become a voice that speaks negative things. That the best thing we can do if we see something that looks impossible, because I promise when Ezekiel's looking at those bones, thinking about them coming to life seems pretty impossible if the best thing that we can do is look at it and say, God, you know. That's okay. What we can't do is allow our tongue to become an instrument of cursing and close off. Because when Ezekiel says to God, oh Lord, you know, he's giving God permission. He's saying, listen, probably this is what he means. No, no in my own thinking, like if you're asking me, do I think these bones can live? What I'm looking at, a bunch of dead, dry bones laying in a valley? No. Because it's not as if Ezekiel was like the bone raiser. You know, it's not like he was this guy that had this story of everywhere he went, he spoke to bones, they came to life. And so God was like, what about these bones, Ezekiel? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, those bones live and those bones live. You know, he wasn't that way. This is the first time he's had to see this. 
The first time he's looked and saw dead bones laying there, but he knows if the Lord's asking him a question, there's something more that he doesn't see. And so wisely he holds his tongue and doesn't curse what God's showing him. And he says, Lord, you know. If the best thing you can do when you look at a, listen to me, if you're looking at a situation in your life or someone else's life, and the best thing you can do is say, God, you know, that's okay. But let it stop there. Don't start talking about the reasons why the bones can't live. Don't find a bunch of people who also think the bones can't live and find out why they think the bones can't live. Because the truth of the matter is, what they think is irrelevant if what God is saying and what God is about to speak is opposite of what they think. And because he doesn't open his mouth, I honestly believe this, that if we would be people that would not allow cursing to come from our mouth, not cursing as in cuss words, you know, swear words. I'm not, you know, let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, okay? That's not wholesome, so don't let it come from your mouth. I'm talking about if we would be people that would not let cursing, negativity, death, speaking against things, calling things impossible. When, we, when out of one side of our mouth, we look at a situation and we say, oh, that's impossible. Yet out of the other side of the mouth, we read the word and it says, and for, with God, all things are possible. Out of one side, we speak life. Out of the other side, if we would be people who would actually not let cursing and death and negativity come out of our mouths, I promise you, God would speak to us and entrust us to be the ones to speak and see life happen. Because all he's looking for is, will Ezekiel speak blessing or cursing? Will Ezekiel trust me in this situation? That's all he's looking for is somebody that even if I'm looking, look, you may not have the answers. Like, I'm telling you, listen to me. Someone needs to hear this. Someone, people may be coming to you with something, or there may be an issue going on with someone in your family especially, and you're looking at it, and you honestly can't see the way that it can happen. At that point, just look towards the Lord and say, Lord, you know. God, you know them. You know why they were created. You know why they're here. You know why they're doing the things that they're doing. I look at them, and I have so many judgments. I look at them, and I think of all these reasons. I look at them, and my feelings and my emotions and what I'm seeing do not line up with what I believe that you would say if you looked at it. So, God, I'm going to shut my mouth, and I'm not going to let anything come from my mouth that doesn't come from yours, because what's the next thing that happens? He says, okay, Ezekiel, now I want you to speak to the bones. I want you to say to them and prophesy to them. And I just honestly believe if it's been a long time since you've heard God tell you something to speak, it might be because your mouth can't be trusted and he won't share it. That's not to be harsh. It's just saying that fresh water and salt water can't flow from the same spring. Blessing and cursing can't flow from the same place. And you get to choose which one flows from your mouth. And the voice that you're listening to will largely determine what flows from your mouth. So um, I want to just, and you can, I'm telling you, the first three chapters of Genesis, you can find just about everything there. Um, You know, if you want to know, like, what God's plan is for humanity, just look at how it was before man screwed it up. Really, like people are like, well, you know, I know what Jeremiah says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you, not to harm you, to bring you hope and and to give you peace. And, you know, but then I look around at the world and it's like, well, maybe you should realize that the world that you're looking around at isn't the world that God intended from the beginning. And if you want to know what God intended from the beginning, you could open up to the very first part of the book. 
And you could see what he intended from the beginning. And you could see that it's never changed. And his desire for us has never changed. And so in Genesis 3, we, this chapter is all about the, the fall of man. But realize that prior to sin, Adam and Eve had only heard one voice speak. That's recorded. Only one voice. Well, you, you know, we say, well, yeah, but no, there'd be two voices they each heard because it would be God and Adam or God and Eve. Yeah, but if all Eve heard was God and Adam and all Adam heard was God and Eve, then all they could hear was one source coming from either of their mouths, whether it was coming out of Adam's mouth or coming out of Eve's mouth. Up to that point, no other voice had spoken truth into them. So when they opened their mouths, it was as if God himself was speaking because there was a single source speaking to both of them. So whether it came through their mouths or came through his mouth, the truth is up to that point, they'd only heard one voice speak. Listen, whether it comes from his mouth or comes out of your mouth, there's power in the word of God. When you open your mouth and you speak his word, it's his word. It's not your mouth that matters. That's why he said to Ezekiel, all right, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. He said, I'm going to do this stuff. And then he says, now you say this. And as Ezekiel says it, it happens. So was it God's word or was it Ezekiel's mouth? It was God's word. The mouth was irrelevant. He just was looking for somebody who would open his mouth and declare what he was saying. And so it, it, up to this point, they've only heard one voice. So there's this common source and everything that they said, even if their voices didn't sound the same, right? Like, um, what if one of them had an accent? I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But, um, you know, and, and one's pitch was higher than the others, obviously, you know. Eve's pitch was probably a little softer and higher than Adam's. And so the, the tone might have been a little bit different, the, the actual sound. But the source, the seasoning, the flavor that was on it was similar because it came from a single source. And so up to this point, that's it. There's one voice, and then comes another voice. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, For the, tree of the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. This is how you know that God's not a legalist, because a legalist would have put that tree in the farthest corner and put a fence around it where you couldn't see it and made it impossible so that the act would be controlled rather than the heart and the action would be controlled. But instead, God puts it in the middle of the garden and then says, I'm going to put it there and I'm going to tell you not to eat of it because I don't want the lack of ability to be the thing that keeps you. I want your trust in me to be the thing that keeps you from it. It was never about the lack of ability. It was always about the presence of the one who made them able. Always. Think about it. Why didn't he put it in the farthest corner of the garden, some irrelevant little mud hole where no one ever wanted to go because he wasn't interested in controlling their actions. He wanted them to know him and trust him and their actions would follow. So he said, don't eat of it. She said, from the tree in the middle of the garden, we, we cannot eat. He, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. We talked about that. God never said, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat from it. The serpent said to the woman, you will surely not, will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable for making one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. When the, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. 
Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? This is how you know that sin didn't change God's desire for man. Why? Because he came walking in the garden, and when he didn't see Adam, he asked a question, where are you? He didn't say, you better hide. You know what you did. Yeah, it's a good thing. Better pick a big tree. He doesn't do that. He comes to the same place he's always come, and you know that there had to be this expectation that Adam met him there. I've heard people say, well, how do we know that God, you know, that was a regular thing? Because when Adam wasn't there, God said, where are you? And it was a big garden. Why did it, I, I honestly believe there was a time and a place and a point where they met together on a regular basis. So when God was where he's supposed to be and man's not there, something's wrong to the point where God has to ask the question, where are you? There was an expectation. There's this meeting place. There's this time. It's the, in the cool of the day. It says, you know, it's, it's after God. Adam and Eve worked, right? He says he tended the garden. They worked long before sin. Work is not the result of sin. Work's not a sin. And people need to know that. Nobody's allergic to work. But before the fall, the work was pleasant. Maybe that's why after the fall, when we're redeemed, he says, do all things as if unto the Lord. What's he doing? He's reintroducing the idea that your work doesn't have to be unpleasant and something that's unbearable because you can actually do it the whole time as if you're doing it unto the Lord. So now it's no longer about whether the boss is a jerk or not because you're not working for him. You're doing it as if unto the Lord. In fact, if the boss is a jerk, it might be a revelation that he needs what you carry. And if you would just do your work as if unto the Lord, there would be something about you that he would notice. And maybe he would get changed in the process. Come on. Everything was restored. So this work wasn't really like slave toil that came with the fall. But there was work to do. So in the cool of the day, in the time of the day when when the sun was setting and it was starting to get cool out, in the best part of the day, God gave Adam the best part of the day to be with him. He didn't give him scraps and leftovers. Even the best part of the day. And he comes like he always does. And Adam's not there. And so God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Can you see that listening to another voice causes the way he hears to change? Because I think every other time he heard God coming, he always ran to where God was. Which is why when he didn't do that, God says, something's wrong. Where are you? And Adam says, why I heard. That's why Jesus said, be careful how you hear. Because when the fall came, our hearing was twisted. And suddenly something that used to make us run to him becomes a reason that we want to run and hide. And it's because we've lost the revelation of who he is. We don't see the heart that he has for us. We don't understand his desire for us or how much he loves us. And so because of that, things that normally would have caused us to run to that place and meet him cause us to run somewhere and hide. If you ever find yourself wanting to run and hide rather than run to meet him, your hearing is twisted. You're listening to another voice. Come on. He says, I heard, first time. 
I heard the sound of you coming. And I was afraid. Fear comes in. He listens to another voice. And now, all of a sudden, a sound that used to bring comfort brings fear. A sound that used to mean, come meet with me, means run and hide from me. And nothing has changed on God's end. Nothing. He's still right where he always was. Looking for Adam. Wanting to be with him. God hasn't changed. You've just given your ear to somebody different. And because you're hearing another voice, now you're feeling something you were never meant to feel. Because what's determining the way that you feel is the voice that you're listening to. And so now, for the first time ever, Adam says, I heard you coming and I ran and hid because I was afraid. And he said to him, who told you that you were naked? Again, these aren't questions because God's stumped. God's not asking Adam where he is because he really doesn't know where he is. God's asking Adam where he is so that Adam will take inventory of his life and see where he is. Think about it. Just, like, this, this thought always makes me laugh. You're hiding yourself behind the leaves of a tree and your physical body behind a tree from the one who spoke and the tree came into existence. That's a good plan. That's a real good plan. It's like when I was younger, I worked at a zoo, and there was this panther there. His name was Colin. <laughs> it's a true story. He actually passed away a little while ago. But, but he was raised at the zoo from a little baby, and we played with him when he was a little baby. And as he got older, he still wanted to play, but the way that he played changed. And uh, so he would play this game. I would go to his enclosure, and when he saw me coming, he would pounce back, and he would find a little post that was big enough that it was wider than his eyes. <laughs> and he would crouch down behind that post. And I couldn't see his eyes, and he couldn't see me. And all of a sudden, you'd see his little butt wiggle. His tail would start going a little bit. And then he would come springing out from that post and jump at the window at me. And I would act afraid and surprised, you know, because I couldn't see him. And he would really proudly, like, march around a little bit. Then he would do it again. And he'd do it over and over and over again. And his whole thinking was, if I can't see him, he can't see me. <laughs> years later, I went to the zoo with Patty. He had a new enclosure. It had been long since I'd moved away. It had probably been 10 years since we had done that. And I told her, I said, you know, I used to play this game with him. And uh, so I got close to him, and I spoke to him in the tone of voice that I spoke to him when he was a young little panther cub. And all of a sudden, he stopped and looked. and went and hid behind a little post, shook his little butt. <laughs> And was jumping at the enclosure and did it over and over and over again. And the people that were there watching were like, this is incredible, you know. <laughs> and it's funny when it's a panther. It's so silly when it's us. As if there's anywhere that that panther could go in that enclosure that I couldn't see him. And God's looking, and he's, he knows something's gone on. He obviously knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, but he's also playing this out in real time with Adam and Eve. He meets us where we are, and we're in time, so he puts himself into time with him. 
And so he's, this, he's, this is unfolding in the process in real time with Adam and Eve. And so he walks into the garden when he's supposed to be there. He sees that Adam's not there. And he says, where are you? He's not asking Adam, hey, I, I, I don't know where you are. He's telling Adam, take inventory. Look where you are right now. Where are you? You know, for some of us, God's just saying that, like, hey, where are you? And he's not saying, like, I've lost sight of you. He's everywhere at once. He's asking you genuinely, where are you? Take a look around. Take an inventory. Because normally you're here. There was a time where hearing my presence made you come to where I was. And now... My presence makes you want to run and hide. When you were around people that carried my presence, you used to come alive. Now when you see people carrying my presence, you just want to find something else to do. You want to hide. When you're not really hiding. You're not really fooling anyone. Even if you fooled someone, you're not fooling him, and that's the only one that matters to begin with anyway. He's not asking that because he wants to know where you are. He's asking that because he wants you to know where you are. He says, well, I heard that, and I was afraid. And Just look at how much stuff came because they listened to the wrong voice. And that doesn't mean this is the first time that the serpent ever spoke. It just means this was the first time that they actually entertained what he was saying and then acted on it. Because it, it didn't seem like Eve, it, there's no record of Eve being like, whoa, a talking snake. You know, it didn't seem weird. It just casually says, then the serpent came and said to her, which makes me think that maybe there was a lot of things speaking, but when they were actually walking in tune with him, they weren't listening to the other voices that were speaking. And so this is the first time recorded that she actually listened. There's going to be a lot of things speaking into your life. Just because they're speaking doesn't mean that you're listening. You may even hear the noise, but it's when you actually take what it's saying, consider it, ponder it, dialogue with it, interact with it. Come on, listen to me. You can, you can hear something. That's what Jesus said. Be careful how you hear. He was saying in a good way. Like, don't just listen. Actually hear what it's saying. Internalize it. Dialogue with it. And then act upon it. And so the enemy comes and he, he speaks. And this time, she actually does those things. And look at everything that changes. God looks at him and says, who told you you were naked? He's not asking Adam, hey, clue me in. He's basically saying, I never told you that. And he realizes, obviously, why Adam says this. He says, have you eaten of the tree? Again, he's not asking because he's curious. He's pointing out things are different. And the only way they could be different is you've listened to a voice you were never supposed to listen to, and you've followed a direction you were never supposed to follow. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave from the tree, and I ate. 
you know, we talked about, you know, the woman you gave. But, but look what happens. So he hears and listens to the wrong voice. He acts upon the wrong voice, which causes him then to hear with fear when the Lord is coming. So he acts on fear and runs and hides. And then when he realizes he can't hide anymore, he comes out of hiding behind the tree, but he doesn't come out of hiding from the Lord because when he opens his mouth and speaks for the first time, his speech has changed. And now he's defending himself and he's blaming someone else. And all this happened because of the voice that they listened to. It's the woman. She came out of him. He's supposed to protect and defend her. Yet he's giving himself permission to point an accusing finger at her. Listen, husbands and wives, there's already the job of accuser of the brethren is already taken. That, that position's already been filled. There's one the Bible says, he is the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't need any help, and he will never quit his job, so quit practicing for the day that he does. The last thing, the one whom you are supposed to lay your life down for and love the way Christ loves you, you realize that that means that there's never a place of accusation within marriage? Think about it. So Jesus who gave us his example, according to Peter, when he was accused, didn't make accusation in return, even though he had the right. Think about this, just for a second. I, I didn't, Zach started it, talking about marriage. <laughs> Blame him. But think about this for a second. We're the bride of Christ, so he's our husband, and his bride is making false accusation at him. Like if ever, ever anyone made a false accusation, it was when humanity accused God. It starts in the garden, listening to the wrong voice, and suddenly when Adam opens his mouth, humanity accuses God. It's the woman's fault or it's your fault. And Eve does what most Christians ever since have done. The devil made me do it. Did you realize that God doesn't approve of any of those accusations, so it's never God's fault? It's never another person's fault? It's never the devil's fault when you're born again? Well, he can speak, he can present opportunity, but you have to act on it. You can never blame him. You say all the time, well, they made me mad. No, they didn't make you mad. They gave you an opportunity, and you took the opportunity, and you chose to be angry. You chose to listen to the wrong voice, and your response wasn't what God called you to. They were the opportunity for it, but you took the bait. And so now they've listened to the wrong voice, and now there's this accusation made, and God says, oh, I have to fix this. 
I have to. And so he does what he does. He covers them with skin. They were already covered with fig leaves. Yeah, but they made the fig leaves. The fig leaves weren't good enough to make them feel comfortable in front of God, or they wouldn't have been hiding behind a tree. You realize that nothing you've ever done to try to cover your sin would ever be good enough to stand before a holy God. You know that. Adam knew that. That's why he was hiding, even though he'd already made his own covering. So God says, I'll make a covering. And I'll put a covering on them so that they won't be uncomfortable to come in front of me. Because they'll know that the covering they carry is one that I made, and if I made it, then it's good enough for them to come before me, no matter what they've done. So he makes a covering. But, um, so I've been just thinking about all that. That was the pre-message. Huh? Yeah, it is. But no, listen, I want to get back real quickly to the accusation thing, because here's the thing. So how many of you, when there's an argument or a discussion in your home between husband and wife or between friends and life, whatever it is, how, how many of you are 100% correct? St. Jason. <laughs> Next Sunday, Jason, where are you? <laughs> no, but, but, but seriously, think about it. How many of us are just 100% correct in this argument that we're having finally? Even if you are, you still don't have the right to accuse. Because Jesus was 100% right in the accusation made against him by his bride. And he who gave us his example to follow offered no accusation in return. I've never been more right than Jesus. You've never been more right than Jesus. She's never been as wrong as humanity when they nailed him to a cross. And yet, even if you were as right as him and she was as wrong as them, he still doesn't give you the right to make accusations because Jesus didn't. And he said he gave us our, his example to follow. That challenges me. And so... The wrong voice, disobedience, fear, hiding, defending. And then comes Jesus. And suddenly, the ability to have things restored to the way God wanted them to be returns to humanity. What the law couldn't do through its weakness, Jesus did through his obedience. It's the blood of bulls and goats God didn't want to begin with. There was never a way that you could live up to that standard. He put the tree in the middle of the garden and said, don't eat it. We all ate it, every one of us. You're not going to get mad at Adam when you get to heaven. People say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a talk with Adam. When you get to heaven, the last thing you're going to do is think to accuse Adam because he probably lived a holier life than you did, if you're being honest. He screwed up once that's recorded. I know a person who's done at least twice. So 
But so here's the thing. So God, Jesus comes and he makes all things new. He restores all things. And he puts the spirit of God inside of us. We talked about this the last couple of weeks about being born again, about now the spirit of God that was in them. Remember when God breathed into Adam, it says it's that same word for spirit, the same word for breath. It's the breath of God that came into Adam and he stood up alive. And then God said, in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. What happened? The spirit of God comes out of him. The spirit of this world has now filled him. He's made himself a slave to the enemy. And then Jesus comes, and right before he goes back to, to, to heaven, he breathes on the, whole, on the disciples, says, receive the Holy Spirit. What's happening? The breath of God that originally went into Adam and Eve now comes back into humanity. Things are restored to the way that they're supposed to be. It has to be that. can't be that, that that's when those, the Holy Spirit came in, 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 in a baptizing way, because then he says, now I want you to go to the city, and I want you to pray, and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When he becomes upon you, you'll become witnesses. So the Spirit of God comes in them. They're now born again. He's now restored to, to relationship with the Father. It's no longer the Spirit of this world that's inside of them. They're no longer enmity with God in their minds. They actually have the ability through the mind of Christ to actually be not enemies with God. The Spirit comes into them. Life comes back in. And then he says, now there's a new way to live. And we find that new way to live looks a lot like the old way to live prior to sin when we were in the garden with God. And so um, I, I, I was reading in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Just stop right there for a second. How much quieter would the world be if we actually did that? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. It doesn't say true, because a lot of times Christians will stand on truth. Well, it's the truth. Just because it's the truth doesn't mean it needs to be said. Is it lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, of, pure, of, 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 of good report? Is it wholesome? And listen to what he says next. Then he says, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. What if we had a filter that said the only thing that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be things that are wholesome and good for edification? Good for, edif good for edification, good for building up, good for supplying something, good for actually meeting a real need. Then he says this, he says, to the need, according to the need of the moment, so that we'll give grace to those who hear. Do you realize the things that you speak can actually bring grace into a situation? Ezekiel speaks, and life comes into dead bones. We speak, life comes into dead bones, and it matters what comes out of our mouth. You can bring grace into a situation, or you can bring condemnation. You know the problem with those two? The problem is this, is there's, the enemy's already brought condemnation, and when you come along, and you're supposed to be the one that brings grace, and you add to the condemnation of the situation, all you've done is ensure that not only have they heard the enemy, but now they've heard someone who's supposed to represent the Father echo the voice of the enemy and seal for them that that's what truth is. Our words are, I mean, think about it. God says, I'm going to put breath in them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. When he's talking to Ezekiel, read it. Ezekiel 37. I don't have time to read the whole thing right now. But he says, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then he tells Ezekiel, now you say these things. And Ezekiel does it, and everything happens but the breath. And God says, all right, now, now I want you to prophesy. And you say to the four winds, you come, and you breathe on these bones and bring life into them. And Ezekiel, when he opens his mouth and says what God is telling him, when he brings what is necessary for the moment. See, we sometimes speak to what is wanted. That's not what it says here. It doesn't say, um, 
it doesn't say let only such a word which is good for making thing, people feel better, right? Or what people want to hear or what seems right to me. He says, no, only what is good according to the need in the moment. What's necessary? What if we stopped and asked ourselves before we responded to things so quickly? So, like, we, we're, we're kind of flippant sometimes. I'm not, like, I don't mean this harshly. I'm just saying, guys, like, we don't understand the power of our words. And sometimes we just flippantly say things. And Jesus said that you'll be held accountable for every casual, every word that was just spoken flippantly. He says idle word for every idle word spoken. But that word idle there means it did nothing. How does a word do nothing? Well, words actually do more than nothing if they're not the words of God. They could actually bring harm into a situation. And this is what Jesus is saying. When you just open your mouth and start to speak without considering that maybe I have something to say, and what comes out of your mouth may make people feel better, it may be what they want to hear, but it's not truth, you're actually going to be held accountable for those things. Why? Because right here, he tells us in the word to let nothing that's unwholesome proceed from our mouth, only a word which is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. What if our routine looked like this before we responded to anything? What honest? I'm being honest, you guys. Like Before you write that Facebook post that puts people in their place, before you send that text that straightens everybody out, before you make that phone call, before you see that person crying who's believing a lie, and you tell them something that makes them feel better in the moment but isn't actual truth. Because sometimes it's not malicious. Sometimes it's with a good heart. And people sit there and, you know, they've been through a situation or something's happened and they're crying and they're hurt and, and, and they're so angry. And we come along and we jump next to them and we get angry with them and we echo their words. I know, oh my gosh, what a piece. Of, are you kidding me? Come on, we do that. That doesn't help with the need in the moment. That's not what they need. What they need is someone that loves them enough to speak truth to them. What they need is somebody, they're already looking at the dry bones and speaking death. They don't need a Christian to come alongside them and speak death to the dry bones with them. They need to hear that they, those dry bones could actually live. They need to hear that. What if we did this before we did all those things? I'm not talking about, you know, like you're sitting around and someone's like, who do you want to win the game tonight? Lord. He probably doesn't care, unless he does. <laughs> if he does, he'll probably speak. But no, you know, like chicken or ramen, Lord. You know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying when you're having these conversations with people and they're actually basing or listening to what you're saying and it's making a difference in what they believe or how, they're, how they are or how they perceive something or they're making decisions based on what you say, what if we did this? What if we actually had a filter that we went through and said, is this wholesome? Will this edify? Because it could edify something, but if it's not edifying wholesome things, then it's not good. The last thing someone needs is for you to speak something to them that feeds something that's already not supposed to be there. But if it makes it through that, then what if we just took a second and said, Lord, what do they need right now? Like there may be times we already know. You don't have to ask him. You already know. You see somebody who's believing a lie. You know the truth. Speak the truth. Like that's, you know, you don't have to seek the Lord on that. A kind word turns away anger. When you see somebody that's angry, they need a kind word. God's already spoke that. You don't have to go seek him out for it. It's super easy. If somebody's speaking angrily, the last thing they need is for you to respond in anger. Why? Because when you do that, you're fueling the thing that's already controlling them. Escalate the situation, and now two of you are speaking angrily. And where two or more agree on anything, maybe even bringing anger and hostility into a situation. 
But if we don't already have a scripture that speaks to it, that we know or, or that we remember or that jumps up into our mind, what if we genuinely did this, just got alone with him and said, God, what do they need right now? Father, I'm going to open my mouth and speak if you want me to. But I want it to be wholesome. I want it to edify. More than anything, I want it to meet the need that's there right now so that it will bring grace when they listen. What if we did that? What if we decided we weren't going to write anything on Facebook unless it was wholesome and edifying? What if we decided that even no matter how harshly people spoke to us, we weren't going to respond the way that they were speaking to us? Because we believe that what they need is not somebody to confirm and agree with them where they're at. We need somebody that would show them a better example. You know, the Bible says that when you love your enemies, when you're kind to those who hate you, it's like heaping coals on their head. But you don't do it to heap coals on their head. That's a promise, not a motive. If you've ever done it to heap coals, you didn't really love them and you weren't really kind. And it didn't heap coals. But that whole saying is basically saying it will affect them when you love people and you're kind to people who are mistreating them. It'll be abrupt. It won't be what they're expecting. It might not feel good in the moment, but it will bring an impact. So I just, like, I've, there's so many voices speaking right now. And you know what? As technology expands, the access that, 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 that those voices have to our ears grows exponentially every single day. There's just so many voices speaking. Jesus was talking, and he said, My sheep hear my, vo- my voice and know my voice. And the voice of a stranger, later he says, The voice of a stranger, they just won't follow. He, said, he didn't say they won't hear it. He said they won't follow it because they don't recognize it. We have to know his voice so that when all these other voices are speaking, they can speak all that they want. The serpent probably tried a bunch of times to get Eve to follow his plan. I don't think it was the first time that, that the serpent spoke. Or it would have been this weird, freaked out moment of like, oh, a talking snake. And that would have probably... Dr- I think maybe there was more conversation going on with animals. Who knows? I don't know what was happening, but I do know this, that, that at some point she heard his voice, she listened to his voice, she entertained it, she argued with it. Even if you're arguing with the enemy, you're still engaging him. Stop giving him your ear. You argue with him, you still are giving him your time and your attention. And sooner or later, he'll have something to say that you don't have an answer for. Or twist you with your own words. And then all of a sudden, you're questioning everything just like Eve did. So God, I just ask, Father, I ask that you would show us the value of our words. God, that we would be like Ezekiel's. God, that, that anything we look at, no matter how impossible it looks, that we, the, the worst that would come from our mouth is, God, you know. God, I don't know, but you do. I trust you over what I think. I don't trust my thoughts right now because they don't seem wholesome and edifying. So I'm not going to speak them. I don't trust what I'm seeing right now because it doesn't look wholesome or edifying, so I'm not going to speak on it. 
God, until I see something wholesome and edifying, until I'm thinking things that are wholesome and edifying, God, until I know something that's wholesome and edifying, God, I'm going to put a guard over my mouth and I'm not going to speak. And I'll listen for your voice. And when I hear your voice, then I'll speak. But in the meantime, I won't curse something. The worst that will come from my mouth is God knows. I just ask that you would burn that into our hearts, God. I thank you for opening our ears so wide to hear you, closing our ears to the voice of the stranger in all its forms. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, real quickly before Candace says the announcements. Uh, Next Sunday is our first Sunday offering. So we added all the chairs back in here, and first service is filling up, second service is full almost. And we've had to set up chairs out in the foyer a couple of times. Although last week we did get everybody in, but every seat was full. And um, so we are just seeking the Lord, and we're praying and asking him, dear God, don't ask us to do a third service. (laughs) I mean that. People are like, yeah, that would be rough. I don't even care about me. I'll preach five services. It's everybody else that I worry for. It's the worship team. It's, It's the prayer team. It's the children's workers and all that. So I know he has a plan. He hasn't, like, brought us here to abandon us, and he has a plan. And we're, so we're just seeking him and asking what it is. And our first Sunday offering is basically just a special offering we do above our regular tithes and offerings um, that is going, everything kind of goes into the account anyways because we don't have any debt, and that's where all of our money goes, you know, besides what we pay out to people and to help the community and to missionaries. Hey, you guys want to hear a really cool story real quick? You don't hear enough of this stuff, so we're going to start sharing more of this stuff. So a couple weeks ago, I was praying, and uh, there's a guy who does amazing ministry around the United States, but especially over in the Middle East. They go in, and they actually train um, house church leaders. And this isn't like safe stuff. Like when they go there, the, the, you know, the people are dying and being killed for their faith there. And they go there and train house church leaders, and they, do, they encourage them and pour into them and help them to get established. And so um, last week or two weeks ago, I was praying, and I really felt impressed that we should uh, to, to just ask him if there was a need that our church family could help meet. And we do that for missionaries sometimes and, or for different ministries. And, and uh, so I sent him a text, but it went green, and, and I figured, well, he must be out of the country or whatever. Um, so about a week later, I was praying, and I felt that same thing again. So I sent it, and this time um, he responded back. And he said, um, I just spent 30 minutes praying because we found out that somebody had stolen $1,800 worth of property that we had for sale, and now we have to spend $1,200 in tickets to go out and try to deal with this, and who knows if we'll even get this back, and the last trips that we took were really expensive, and you know, he's like, I just, honestly, just getting your text is encouraging to me, and so check with the elders real quick, and they're fine with it, so we sent all the money that was taken, plus what they were planning to spend on tickets and all this stuff, just said, done, it's covered. And, uh, and I said, just, I feel like the Lord wants you to know that little foxes will come, but he always watches over the vine. And, uh, and he was just so encouraged and so blown and said to say, thank you. So I'm telling you, thank you from him. Then he sent me this picture. He said, check this out. And yeah, we can't share the picture. He says, please don't pass this on to anybody. But he, and he sent me a picture of him with this older guy, who, you know, with a long beard. He's, he's leading a house church. He's on fire for Jesus. <laughs> Listen, hey. They're meeting, they're meeting Jesus in their dreams. He's coming to them in dreams. He's coming to them in visions. And then someone preaches the gospel, and it confirms what this Jesus spoke to them already. And they're giving their lives to Jesus. And actual Saul's are turning to Paul's. 
It's incredible, and we get to be part of that, you guys. We get to help with that. That's what part of this, what comes in. We, we, that we have that discretion to be able to say, hey, we, we are a family that's generous, and, and people give, and so if we can meet a need, we want to help meet that need. And so we're gonna, we, we, it is going to be more of a season of testimonies around here. We're going to be sharing all this stuff because it happens all the time. Uh, there's a place called the Greer Learning Center, um, which they get kids from, from the school. They bring them over, and they actually get school credit for learning a Bible. And, um, and some of the, the people who run it, um, the Neelys, their kids come here. They come here a lot of times on Sundays to one of the services. And uh, we were able to give them a donation recently just, it, just to help them with anything that they need. And, uh, and it's just, there's just so much great things that we can sow into. So, so, but everything else goes into an account because when God speaks, we want to be as ready as we possibly can with whatever's next. So that's what the first Sunday, long roundabout story to tell you. That's what the first Sunday offering is all about, and that's next Sunday. You can do it online. There's a little drop box that actually says first Sunday offering. You can click that. That way everything goes to that. Or you can um, give when we do the offering next week and note your check or whatever, first Sunday offering. But anyways, love you guys.